last of uh, Jonah here uh, this afternoon. We want to turn once again. We're studying the minor prophets, and uh, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. What's the next book? Anybody know? Micah. Did you look? Okay. (laughs) All right. After Jonah comes Micah. Lord willing, we'll keep on going through the minor prophets here, uh, unless the Lord leads otherwise. But uh, I think it's uh, some books that often get neglected. Now, Jonah's not one of those stories that is necessarily neglected. We've heard it since we were children in Sunday school, many of us. But uh, it has an interesting ending. And so we'll see uh, concerning that this afternoon. The prophet Isaiah had this to say about the mysterious ways of the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the sooner we as children of God realize this, the better off we will be. Of course, even though we can read this truth, we can know that it's right, it's God's word, Sometimes the ways of God are kind of hard to stomach, aren't they? Well, such was the case for Jonah. In Jonah, the end of chapter 3, now into chapter 4, Jonah watched the Lord work his sovereign will in the city of Nineveh. Jonah did not like God's way. And I must admit, there are times in my life when I see what God is doing and I maybe have some problems with it as well. And if you're honest, you would have to probably say the same. But be that as it may, we all have to come to grips with the truth that God is in absolute control of life and that the best we can do is to surrender to His plan and to His will and join Him in what He's doing. So as we look at this text today, I want to point out just a few lessons And hopefully this passage will serve to teach us that God is in charge. Our duty is to work with Him in all that He does. Now notice with me the revival in Nineveh. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. The book of Jonah records that what may have been the greatest revival in the history of the world. Here we have an entire city repenting of sin and getting right with God. And notice that this revival did not happen by itself. A few things were involved in bringing this revival to the people of Nineveh. First of all, it involved a man. In chapter 1, on through chapter 3 and verse 3, we have been given the details of Jonah's call, his disobedience, and then his restoration. We're told how the Lord used this prophet to bring the word of God to a lost people. 
And there's good news in this for you and for me. It's a blessing to know that God can use even those who have fallen short of the glory of God. And the result of this is that God can, if God can use Jonah, then God can use you and me as well. So it involved a man. Secondly, it involved a message. In chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And Jonah began to enter the city of a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here's an eight-word message. You wish my messages were that short sometimes, don't you? Eight-word message. And when the message was preached, God used the word to prick the hearts of the Ninevites, and revival came about. I think that can be a blessing as well. The blessing lies in the fact that you and I can take confidence that when we share the word of the Lord, knowing that he will bless his word, and that it will accomplish the purpose to which he sent it. Again, if you go back to Isaiah, we mentioned Isaiah already earlier in uh, verses 8 and 9, but you look on there in Isaiah 55, verse 11. It says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so it invo- this involved a man, this revival involved a man, it involved a miracle. Our message, and not a miracle. Look at verse uh, 5 through 9 of chapter 3. We have there, the miracle lies in the fact that this whole city turned to God. I think there have been a number of great revivals throughout history, but I think this is really the only time that I've ever known a whole city, especially of the city of this size, filled with such wicked people being converted and delivered from sin. I'd say that was a miracle. It was a great miracle. It's a great miracle when anyone comes to Christ. Including your salvation, my salvation. It was a great miracle. When lives are changed, it's always a miracle. That's the glory of the gospel. So it involved a man, a message, and a miracle, and then it involved God's mercy. In verse 10, As we read, when the people of Nineveh Nineveh repented of their sins, they turned to the Lord, God reacted to their faith in grace. And when they turned to Him, He saved their souls by grace. Of course, God knew what would happen before even Jonah had arrived, but their conversion was a part of His perfect plan. And that's the way salvation works all the time. God loves the sinner. He has a plan to save a soul and he sends the word so the sinner might be convicted to see his condition. And when the sinner repents of his sins, God saves him by grace through faith. And of course, that's all a part of his plan. That's the revival that took place in Nineveh. But notice, secondly, the reaction in Jonah. When the Lord takes the message of Jonah, an entire city is saved You'd think Jonah would just be the happiest prophet in the land. But Jonah reacts in a very bad way. Notice, first of all, the prophet's rage. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But 
It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That phrase, very angry, means that Jonah burned with anger. He was hopping mad, as some would say, because God did not kill the people of Nineveh. He hated them. Well, there, you know, other than that, there are several reasons. I'll just give you a few. One of the marks of a true prophet was that his prophecies always come true. And Jonah had said the Ninevites would be overthrown back in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. And if that didn't happen, well, then was Jonah a false prophet? Well, that was one of the reasons he could have been mad. And then another reason his fellow Jews might be upset and angry for him preaching a message that brought salvation to their enemies. You know, I don't think Jonah was the only one that was thinking bad about the Ninevites. And they deserved any thoughts of wickedness that someone might have for them. But, you know, they might even think, well, Jonah, you're a traitor going and helping these people. And of course, I've mentioned here that Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, and nothing would have pleased him more than to see them all destroyed. Now, we could be pretty hard on Jonah with those reasons, I think. But before we get too hard, maybe we should look at our own lives and examine how we respond to the Lord working out His will in your life and my life. How many times have we reacted with anger when God did something that went against our plan? And I think we need to remember the counsel of the Bible. In Proverbs 16 and verse 9, it says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his paths, or his steps. Psalm 37, 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Well, I tell you, Jonah was doing anything but delighting. He was upset. He was very angry. So we see the prophet's rage. Secondly, we see the prophet's resentment. Verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah tells the Lord that this is what he knew was going to happen. This is why he ran away. What you see here is a man throwing a first-class pity party. Jonah didn't get his way, and he wants God to know that he is upset. He's hurt, he's angry, and his anger is so deep that he even attempts to take it out on the Lord. And just in case you didn't know this, Your arms are too short to box with the Lord. (laughs) You can't fight God. Just because he didn't order life like you thought it should be ordered, we better be careful when we decide to line up against God. Listen, nobody likes life and what it brings all the time. But those who love the Lord the deepest are those who remember that God always knows best, and He always does what is best for His children. You know, the safest and the sanest place to to be and the 
Sana's course of action is one of humble obedience and submission to what life and what God brings our way. We only have to think about Job in that manner. So we have the prophet's rage, we have the prophet's resentment, we have the prophet's request. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Well, very bluntly, Jonah wanted God to kill him. Well, you say, that's strange. No, he wasn't the first. You think about Moses and Elijah. They both prayed the same thing. Because he didn't get his way, and because he had to endure embarrassment, he wanted to give up his, on life itself. That is a sad, sad commentary. But wait, how many people have put their testimony to death and given up on serving God because he didn't give them what they wanted? Sometimes we say, well, I'd never want to die, but yet we put our testimony to death when we don't get our way. And we start living for self. Again, I remind you again that obedience to what the Lord brings our way is better than anything else we can give him. And that brings us to the prophet's resolve. Verse 4. Then said the Lord, Dost thou, or doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and made them uh, him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So after Jonah is confronted about his anger, he does not change his mind. Instead, he climbs up a hill outside the city. He folds his arms and sits down to wait and begins to pout. He's probably hoping the Lord will change his mind. Jonah doesn't get his way about Nineveh, and he doesn't get his way about dying, so he's just going to pout. And there are a lot of people, just like Jonah, in churches, and yes, even good Baptist churches, for some reason, life has not gone the way they had planned it, and their response is not a humble submission to the will of the Lord. No, they just quit. It does not say much for your love for God or your devotion to His will when disappointments translate into disobedience and desertion. I promise you that if you decide to go to war with God over His will, He's going to win the battle every time. Well, that brings us then to the response from God. The response from God. And here, we notice in verse 6, And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Here the Lord is extending grace to Jonah. He doesn't deserve it. He's been a, uh, he's been a wicked man in his thinking. Even when his heart was obviously not right with God, God 
graciously allows a vine to grow over the prophet's hut, his little booth there to give him shelter and comfort. And I think it might be a blessing to know that even when we walk outside the will of the Lord, the Lord still looks after us and he still blesses us. I think of Elijah. Uh, in 1 Kings 19, I think of Peter and his disciple and the disciples. How many times has he continued to bless and use us even when we were out of his will? Is that an excuse for being out of his will? No. We just need to thank God for his grace. So God responds in tenderness toward the prophet. But not only that, God responds by teaching about priorities. In verse 7, But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that, the God, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And the God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest to grow, which came up in the night, and perished in the night. And should I... Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein the more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Just as Jonah's beginning to really enjoy the vine that God had prepared for him, God sent a worm to destroy the vine. Well, that makes Jonah even angrier. He's getting a little taste of the horrors of hell that the Ninevites were headed for before they were saved. And this time, God sets the record straight. He reminds Jonah that Jonah cared more about the vine than he did the souls of the people of Nineveh. People made in the image of God and people who would have perished had he not, God had not intervened. I think every time we read this, it should bring us under conviction. Why? Because many times we see the same attitude in our lives. We tend to get upset about things that simply do not matter. Think about the last thing that really made you mad. You say, I never get mad. Are you sure about that? Even preachers get mad. We get upset about things. We get angry about things. Think about the last thing that really upset you. Ask yourself this question. What is it going to matter in a hundred years? What's it even going to matter in a week? Or tomorrow? The only thing that really matters as we pass through this life is finding God's will and walking in it with all our might. You know, people are going to hell. And we're worried about vines, and we're worried about comforts. Our priorities need to be refocused. They need to be narrowed until we want only what God wants for our lives. 
And that would please him and it would get his work done in this world. So let me ask you, what has your attention today? God didn't care about the, or Jonah didn't care about the eternal destiny of the people on Nineveh. All he cared about was his reputation as a prophet and foolishness. And you may be wondering, what in the world is that doing up there? Now, you know, some of you know I prefer Ford products as far as other automobile products, but I have driven my share of Chevys and Chrysler products and Buicks as well. In fact, I learned recently that I am really a Buick. Do you know what Buick stands for? Brought up in church, kid. And maybe there's some other Buicks here this afternoon. But that was my case. I was brought up in church. Not all of you were brought up in a Christian family. I realize that. Probably your family didn't attend church very much. But I did. All the way from birth. Sunday school classes, vacation Bible school, camp. Saved at the age of nine. Became the president of my youth group. I was in church. Brought up in church. I was at Buick. So why do I say that? Well, it doesn't matter whether you're saved early or later in life. The question is, how do you react when you see God, what, uh, when we see that God really does love everyone, and even people that haven't spent their lives like we do? Someone said that Jonah was a book written for good people. It's a warning that those of us who have been willing to spend our lives serving the Lord can also be the most prone to forget the nature of God. And even though some of you weren't brought up in church, maybe you've been saved many years and you've been in church for many years, it's still the same danger for you. After years and years of service and being in church, we start to forget how much we need God. And we find ourselves just like Jonah, sitting in our comfort zones, looking down on the sinful city, a place desperately in need of God, and complaining when we lose a creature comfort. Chapter 4 closes with Jonah never giving a reply to God. You say, why didn't they finish the story? The prophet offers no rebuttal or agreement to God's question there in verse 11. No sign of repentance. No showing of mercy to to Nineveh. You think, boy, I I sure wish he would have said he was sorry. I sure wish he would would have said something to God and said, you know, God, you're right. I'm wrong. You know, if, if Jonah had just reflected on his anger and his selfishness and his bitterness and critical spirit, he would have come to God for repentance. And we might really wonder, and we might be really puzzled by the ending of this book, but it should be a book that challenges us and leads us to action. If you want to Jonah to have a better ending, 
We're going to have to be people who write it ourselves. We're going to have to write the ending with our lives. If God was right and Jonah was wrong, what about if God is right and you're wrong? If you want Jonah to, to say he's sorry and he wants, you want him to repent, what about repenting of your own sin? Isn't it time we put, a thing, uh, put aside all the things that seem to cloud our vision of his will? Isn't it time we put aside our hurts, our desires, our wills, so we might be able to, to do his will in this world? You know, Jonah suffered because he didn't care about God's will. So the question is, what do you care about today? If anything is more important to you than doing the will of God, then I invite you to leave your booth, your place of comfort, and get before God in humble repentance and obedience. Let's pray. Father in heaven.